In this transformative episode, we delve deep into the energy type and energy system known as Reiki with none other than Debbie Barr, a Reiki master from Northern Ireland. Debbie's going to share her powerful healing story, which showcases how Reiki can transform lives. She's also going to share some pretty profound insights on the essence of Reiki. We're also going to talk about some hot button topics that tend to pop up on social media, which is the westernization of this practice after World War II and the mishmashing of other frameworks from other cultures, which again seems to be a Western thing. If you're drawn to this realm of energetics and spiritual healing, or you've heard about Reiki-related critiques on Tumblr, Reddit, TikTok, Twitter, whatever, then this episode is a must-listen. Join us as we unearth the secrets about this almost century-old healing practice and its relevance in the modern world. It's time to grab your favorite beverage, sit in your favorite chair, and get ready for this week's episode of Spiritual AF Sundays. Demystifying Reiki, the natural breath of life. You're listening to Spiritual AF Sundays, created and hosted by The Mystic Geek. If you're looking to explore intriguing questions about the meaning of life and our place in the universe, then you're in the right spot. We dive into topics often discussed as sound bites on social media and take a deeper look. Whether it's woo topics like astrology and mysticism, or seemingly mundane matters like technology and politics, we cover it all. We explore our own thoughts and beliefs, talk to experts, and uncover hidden meanings. These fascinating areas of exploration can help us question ourselves and better understand our world. Ready to grow and explore in your spiritual journey? We're glad you can join us. It's time to start your week off by being spiritual AF. Welcome back, listeners. Today we have Debbie Barr with us to talk about Reiki. Debbie, I'm glad to have you here today. Thanks, Jessica. It's lovely to be here. It's so, so good. Thank you so much for inviting me to speak to your audience. Well, tell us a little bit more about yourself. My name's Debbie. I am a Reiki master from Northern Ireland. I run my own business called Rocks and Rituals, but I live with my partner and our little fur baby, our rescue baby, Raven, our cat. We have four adult children between us as well. And we live out in the countryside enjoying nature. My bio, I suppose, my little bit about myself is really just that I've been attuned to Reiki since 2011 and have found that it really changed my life. And I just want to share that with you and your listeners today and to explore how that it might help them and other people, because that's pretty much what I do on a day-to-day basis. Outside of work, I'm also a volunteer, St. John Ambulance. And if you don't find me doing Reiki, you'll find me sitting in an ambulance, just doing some first aid cover and a bit of, uh, you know, medical work there. So I just like to try and help as many people as I can and personally have a big passion for animals and just being out in nature and loving life. So that's kind of me in a nutshell. Thank you so much for sharing that. Since we're focusing on Reiki today, What has been your personal experience with Reiki? Reiki has completely changed my life. When I look back at the events in life, the things, the personal events that really shaped my life, at the time when they were happening, I didn't have Reiki. I didn't know that it was even a thing. But looking back now, I can see that it actually was leading me towards Reiki. So for example, when I was 14, my father died suddenly when I was 14 and I 
built massive walls of protection. It was such a shock to a teenage system, as you can imagine, losing a parent very suddenly had a cardiac arrest. I built these massive walls that would protect me from the outside world. And I went really into myself just to look after my own mental and emotional being. And what that did for me was it made me very self-sufficient. It made me the type of person that always was wanting to read and to learn and to keep myself sort of protected. And I kind of went through the motions of life. I think like most people do, we go through school. I wanted to try and be a good girl in inverted commas and not annoy my mum because obviously she was grieving. And I wanted to really just sort of continue through life. You just think it's normal. So went to school, went to university, got married, got a job, had kids, just kept going. And over time, I started to realise that I was stuck in a a rut in a sort of an emotional black hole because these walls obviously were getting thicker and thicker and thicker every time because I wasn't really being true to myself. And then the other shock comes to the system in 2007 when there was a big global recession and I was made redundant from my job and it was like my world tipped. And I think it was at that point I made a decision, something has to change. I can't continue to go through life. At this point, I was on antidepressants. I was using alcohol to self-medicate. I was trying to find the emotions at the bottom of a bottle of wine. And I wasn't in a good place. And then I had been made redundant and it was like the universe was trying to come against me. We think these things are all happening to us. And we think to ourselves, goodness, why is this happening to me? And I had a moment of realization where I went, you know what? I'm the driver of my life, not the victim, not the passenger. I need to step up. So it was at that point, I think, when I was made redundant and hitting that real rock bottom of life that I went, I need to change. And it was at that point that Reiki started to creep in. I still didn't know what it was, still wasn't really sure, but I'd heard about it in the background. And I was like, started exploring things like crystal healing, started exploring supernatural stuff back into the things that had made me tick as a 14-year-old child when I first put myself into that little box. And I started exploring energy healing. And as I started to look at crystals and learn about those, this word Reiki just kept coming up over and over and over again. And I was like, okay. So there was nobody in our local area at the time. Northern Ireland's quite a small place. And At the time back then, there wasn't as many Reiki practitioners as there are now. So I didn't ever have Reiki. I never had an actual session. But I went then to a teacher and I says, can you show me what this is? Tell me what this is. And that was my first experience of it when I went and actually did my level one training. And I was hooked, the meditations, the practice, the self-healing. And from there, Jessica, it really just unlocked things for me. It unlocked this passion, this desire to actually use this to get myself better, to get myself off the antidepressants, to get myself in a better place. Then I spent a few years then working on it, did my Reiki master training in 2012. And at that point, the big walls that I'd built came crashing down. I had to turn my life upside down. From the outside, it must have looked completely chaotic. It must have looked like I had lost my mind (laughs) because I left my husband. I left my jobs. I moved house, everything changed. And I'd actually then really discovered that I had never been true to myself. I had stepped into my marriage, for example. We loved each other, yes, but we were just drifting. And I actually had fallen in love with my best friend who was female. And it was such a 
real culture shock. So the fact that Reiki was able to help me unravel all that and actually really put me on the path to where I am now is so amazing. So for me, Reiki is the cornerstone of my healing and the thing that I would just be so passionate about is sharing that with other people. That is beautiful and amazing. It's not unheard of when people heal to let go of things that no longer fit. But yeah. that's a huge paradigm shift that you went through. Massive. It was massive. I'd been brought up very strictly in a Christian faith and been brought up to believe certain things and to act in certain ways. Now, I had stepped away from that after my father died. He was the linchpin of it all. He was the Bible class leader in the house. So when he passed, I was able to extricate myself a little bit from it. My mum was still very involved with the church, but I didn't have to go as much. But to have those beliefs that you were brought up with, it was nearly like, I think that was part of the walls as well, that I had to keep my love of tarot, my love of crystals, my love of the supernatural and spirit kind of hidden because it was not the done thing. And then to then have the whole taboo subject of, my goodness, you've been married for 20 years, but now you're actually living with a woman. What? People were quite shocked in Northern Ireland too. It's quite a provincial place. It's quite tiny. Having said that, we had a lot of support and it was because we had been like obviously best friends. We'd grown up together, gone through school together, both got married to, you know, our partners both had our kids. We'd done everything together. It just naturally then came back. But it was definitely the healing work with Reiki. What Reiki does is it makes you dig into yourself. The the self-healing practices really, they ask you to deeply reflect. They give you time to sit. They give you time to listen. And I remember one of the key things for me whenever I was in that space of being on antidepressants and being very poorly mentally was that I could never have silence. I could never have quiet in the house. There always had to be music on or TV on or something always had to go in the background and I couldn't have that quiet because then I would hear myself think. I would hear my soul talk to me. I would hear my intuition, the quiet little voice come out and say, you're not happy. This is not the place for you. You're not living your purpose. So Reiki helped me find that quiet, helped me listen to that voice and then helped me make the changes that I needed to make. That is wonderful there. So for those who are not familiar within my audience, what happens during Reiki? Because that's one where it's like most people will talk about it and sometimes it'll be like, you'll see the images of laying on hands or hands just barely touching over a person who's in like spa-like setting. But I know personally, as someone who is also a Reiki master, Reiki can look differently for different things, especially when we talk about like the aesthetics or window dressing. So how would you describe what Reiki is and what that process looks like? I think for me, I have come to believe that Reiki is something we are, not something we do. And I missed that point initially and I treated it as a therapy. I treated it as a spa treatment that you go and you lie on a massage table and you have hands placed on you. And yes, there is an element of that. Reiki is simply the natural breath of life is the way I describe it. You simply are the light. You're connected to source energy. So from the point of view of having Reiki as a person, as a client or a friend or family member lying on a massage table, having a Reiki session, for example, that person may feel beautifully relaxed. They may feel that they see lots of lights and lots of colors and lots of nice relaxing images. They might feel as if there's nearly a peaceful sort of 
angelic presence in the room, maybe depending on their own personal beliefs. And this is the thing. Everybody has their own set of beliefs as to what peace and energy feels like for them and what healing feels like. So I never really dictate to someone, you will lie on the table and you will feel X, Y and Z because that closes off the, the flow of energy. It's more for allowing them to experience it. So from a basic description, Reiki itself, the word Reiki means universal life force energy. And it is a Japanese system of hands-on healing, which channels high vibrational energy through the practitioner to the recipient, but that it's ultimately for yourself, that it starts with you as the healer, as the practitioner first, and that it's your healing that needs to be done first before you take that out to other people. That the healing for others is a beautiful side effect of the work you do on yourself. So that's how I would describe it to people. Yeah, that's... A good way of sharing it that 99% of the times it is going to be a hands-on interaction. There are ways to it long distance, but I feel like me personally, I'm more into the in-person because yeah. for at least my own experience, monitoring, because you share, you have a wide range of emotions happening for yeah. the people I work with, it's catharsis. So yeah. needing to know when to take that break and say, here's some water and hold on. On a moment, you mentioned the peaceful experiences. The ones I've seen are more people in those moments because it's that first quiet moment. They're facing their stuff. Yeah, this is it. It's like I said earlier, I would have run from that. There was no way I wanted to hear myself because I knew. Because we all know. I think ultimately we all know. If we're not really living on purpose and we're not really living our truth, because then we mask it with alcohol, with drugs, with being busy all the time or being stressed all the time or working all the time. We find different ways of not actually being a human being. We become human doings instead of human beings. We're not actually just being. So yes, I totally agree. When people come for healing services, it's good to have them in person so that you can help monitor that because it may be the first time they have relaxed to that stage where those emotions, those inner thoughts start to manifest. That having been said, though, Reiki is a beautiful energy and can be transmitted at distance because not everybody is able to reach a local practitioner. So from that point of view, at least it's there. And there are ways of mitigating and helping. You can do it across a Zoom session if you want. You can do it across a phone call. You can do it in many different ways, as you mentioned. But yes, I do personally like the in-person vibe. Part of Reiki is that human touch. It is that actually placing hands on and that human touch. And that itself is very healing because it's really a natural thing, isn't it? It's whenever we hurt ourselves. If we bang our elbow, we will hold it and we will rub it. So it's a natural process for us to put our hands on and heal. One of the things that comes up when we deal with discourse about Reiki is as you shared, Ricky originally came from Japan. And so you dig into the history and actually learn about how the native tribes or the more indigenous people in Japan were the ones who came up with quality healing yeah. and then it developed from there. That all comes from an Eastern Japanese paradigm of how the world works and how it works. And over time, like post-World War II is when all that got brought over to America where we have a very different worldview and paradigm and relationship with the world around us. How do you reconcile those two different belief systems? 
I think, and it's a very interesting concept. It's one that I talk about at length with my students in classes because the Eastern traditions have a completely, as you say, different ethos on life and a different perspective than we have in the West. And it's not that one is better than the other. It is just what it is. The system of Reiki, the system of Yusui Reiki in particular, is a Japanese system. So for me, in order to honour that system, I have to honour its Japanese roots. I have to accept the principles that what Yusui was actually giving us as part of this system was a system of hands-on healing. It's a system of achieving the discovery of your true self, the discovery of the oneness of spirit, of the fact that we are not separate. And yes, when it was brought to the West, when Mrs. Takada brought it to Hawaii and brought it to the West and brought it into the States, it had to be Westernized. It was Christianized almost at that point because the history changed. All of a sudden, the Eastern flavor stuff was all watered down significantly to make it palatable to a post-World War Japan was not flavor of the month. It had to be Christianized significantly. So it caused this schism and this split, which I think is now only starting to be addressed. There's a lot of work being done by Japanese Reiki masters and by Western Reiki masters who are coming together to try and fuse the two together and to actually bring some of the Western practices to Japan to say, look, some of this actually that we do is good. Japan was quite a closed system for a long time and they were very, very protective of their system of Reiki and it was, you know, Westerners were doing it wrong and that sort of thing. There was a big schism and a big split. In the 90s, that kind of stopped and it started to meld a little bit together. And over the last sort of 20 years in particular, so much more has come out of Japan. Updated histories of Yusui. Yes, the system of hands-on healing originally came from the samurai. They had this whole practice of tuning into the energy within themselves. And when they were injured, they would lay their hands on. The fact that Mikayo Yusui has the surname Yusui actually tells us that he had samurai blood in him. So actually, he was not a samurai himself because that system of the samurai warrior had been abolished before he came along. But he does have that samurai blood. So for me, the way I handle this is I talk about the Japanese principles because Reiki is based on five elements. It's based on the precepts, which are the foundational structure. It's based on the breathing techniques and the specific Reiki self-healing that you're taught, the meditation practices you're taught. It's based on hands-on, hands-off healing, the symbols and the mantras, and then the reju or the attunement process. Those are the five elements of the system. Within that, though, you can see that Yusui is alluding to and pointing to the real underlying reason for Reiki being the attainment of enlightenment to be your one true self. So that is very Buddhist in nature, that concept of enlightenment, of reaching that. But when you think about Western religions and Western practices, and even Indian concepts like yoga and the chakras and things like that, that is also to try and achieve oneness of spirit and balance and enlightenment and Christian faiths and Islamic faiths and all the different religions in the world is to achieve connection to God, to source, to universe, enlightenment and oneness of source. So it's actually all the same. It's just different words. So for me, I have to very much honour the system that Yusui gave us. He gave us a beautiful system with five clear elements, each one of which points to achieving the oneness of spirit and being the light. 
But likewise as well, when we look at our Western practices, when we look at any other healing work, the underlying core is to be delight, to be balanced, to achieve that healing. So it's all the same. Thank you for sharing that. I think you touched upon some things I wanted to talk about. So you mentioned the chakras from Hinduism. One of the things that I see in the United States, I'm not sure if it's similar there, is almost this fetishization of the chakra system, the point where it's everywhere and where even Reiki practitioners here, like for you to do a Reiki, you got to understand the chakras, which Buddhism and Hinduism, they're not the same. There's similarities, but it's like we mishmash them together. What do you think about those practices where they're trying to incorporate things that are not Reiki, like chakras or archangels or other spirits into the Reiki practice? Ultimately, we are human beings and we have energy within us. Reiki taps into the source energy all around us and taps into the diamonds of energy. So there's no chakras as such in traditional Reiki teachings. It's three diamonds of energy. But you are completely correct. When I first did my Reiki training, I did not hear anything about diamonds of energy. I was taught the chakra system. And I remember leaving the class going, I'm not sure how that fits. Chakras are energy. And yes, they are prolific. They are everywhere. They're in every book. You can't pick up a book about healing without reading about a chakra. Whether it's because so many people maybe practice the likes of yoga and that system has been made mainstream. So it's because it's mainstream, it's everywhere. Or whether it's because the seven chakras correspond to the seven colors of the rainbow and we see rainbows on a daily basis and we just go, oh, that must be it. So that must be how it is. The way I kind of correspond them together is that they are all actually the same concept, but just with different names. So the seven chakras are about the seven energy centers in the body from that Hindu and Indian sort of concept of their attainment of enlightenment and of the Kundalini rising, the energy rising up and through the body. The Reiki system is the diamond. So we've got the heaven center diamond that are, if you want, your crown and your brow. And then you've got your oneness of heart center, which is, if you wish, your throat, your heart and your solar plexus chakras. And then you've got your earth center diamond, which is your sacral chakra and your base chakra potentially. So they correlate and they correspond to each other. You can interrelate them. It's like different words for life force energy. We have got ki in Japan. We have got chi in China, prana in, you know, Indian concepts. You know, so whatever you call it, it's still life force energy. So I see it like it's a little bit like how all the world religions underneath have the same desire for compassion, love, unconditional love, that they put different labels on it and then humans all fight about which one's right rather than just actually going, can we just step beneath the labels? So for me, that's how I correspond them together. Thanks for sharing that. So you mentioned that you also teach students. What is the process they go through? We don't need to go into the lesson plan, but I'm curious as to what you do with them because at least in the United States, there's this proliferation of Reiki attunement in a weekend or Reiki master in a weekend, going from non-initiated to having all three. I wish I was joking on this one. What are your thoughts on it and how do you teach differently? My thoughts on Reiki mastership in a weekend is please don't do that. Please don't do that. You've already heard what my life went through 
as I grew and experienced with Reiki attunements and Reiki initiations and brought it into my life. Can you imagine that level of energetic change in your life in a weekend? It's frightening. It's something I am quite passionate about. I've experimented in lots of different ways. So I've experimented with running really quite lengthy courses to see if that would work for students. It worked for some, didn't work for others. In the Western world, we are quite impatient. We want everything now. So I want to do Reiki and I want to learn it now. So way I get around it is that I take the actual main bulk of the classes in a workshop, in a day-long workshop, in person with me, primarily. I like to do them in person. I do offer online as well for people, but I prefer it in person. It just works better for me. And as part of my professional registration, I have said I will do them in person. So that's like a standard that we set in the UK. Um, the class itself might just be a day-long class, but what I do is when they sign up, we have preparation time. So I send them materials to read and to learn and to look at. And I've written a book called The Reiki Solution. So I give them a link and say to them, check that out. A couple of podcasts I've done on it. And I'd be like, listen to this and start bringing this into your life. Here's a book I recommend you read. And I recommend one of the one of the Reiki masters that I follow, Franz Steen, I recommend his book to them, The Reiki Way. When I say to them, listen, get this book and read it if you can before the class. It doesn't always work because sometimes people book in maybe a day or two just before the class. But in most cases, they get this prep. We have our class together. We go through at level one, obviously, we go through the basics. We do the principles and the various self-healing techniques. And then after that class, they have a period of 21 day healing where they go away and they do their healing work on themselves. During that time, they have access to me and I check in with them periodically, make sure that they're good. Because obviously you can have a massive emotional reaction. This might be the first time you've had quiet. So I spend time with them in that 21 days. I'm not in their face. I'm there in the background if they need me. I'm not one of these teachers that wants to be micromanaging what's happening with these people. So it's very much about, I will be there for them. At the end of that 21 day period, I check in with them and then I ask them, do they want to continue to stay in a Reiki community? And I give them the option then to stay in one of my Reiki practices going forward, or they can take it to the next level, go to level two, go to level three. Each course then is very similar. Level three mastership course is slightly longer. I run it over a month so that there's plenty of time for all the background prep and reading. And then when I take people through teacher training, it's a three to six month process with me where they shadow and do apprenticeship with me. So I absolutely do not like the whole Reiki master in a weekend thing because that's just terrifying. There's so many courses, though. You're right. There's so many online courses where you don't even see a Reiki master. You can just click onto one of these like Center of Excellence or Udemy or any of these online providers and never see a Reiki master and get a certificate. And that's terrifying. So in the UK, we don't have any registration and regulation as such that's compulsory, but we do have a voluntary regulation process that we can go through to get registered with professional bodies, signed off by the Reiki Council, and then with a regulatory body called the Complementary and Natural Healthcare Council. And by jumping through those hoops, it shows you've been trained in person, that you are following the national UK curriculum, and that you're actually providing a quality teaching service. So I've done that just to set for my own personal development to make sure that I'm providing good quality teachings to people. So that's how I do it. Everybody's different though. Thanks for sharing that. I'm glad that there's people like you out there who are trying to keep a certain standard on the information yeah. that's shared because yeah, we're in a society where people want things now 
and mm-hmm. the appeal of get it all done in a weekend is great, but they don't understand the life change that happens. Yeah. So it, trying to rush through that, your life changed so dramatically afterwards. You share what happened to you over time. Imagine that all snapping together right after what is probably an exhausting, energetically exhausting weekend. It's just, it's mind blowing. Yeah, it's actually quite frightening to think. And I think it probably would contribute to quite a lot of mental health problems for people. But then that does happen as well, quite a lot in the spiritual communities where people do try to open their upper energy centers and they haven't done any work to ground or any foundational work. So without the foundations, you're going to have this massive energetic influx that might well be very, very damaging to your mental or emotional health. For me, it's very much about making sure my students are empowered and safe while they explore their spirituality, whether that's through Reiki, tarot, crystals, whatever it is, that they are held in a safe place because that's most important for them. Let's say someone feels called to become a healer for other people, not just for themselves, but for others. What advice would you have for them? I would give them the advice to please seek their training from experienced people to not be tempted to jump down the quick fix route and then position themselves as the healer. But if they're feeling called from a place of service, they are going to have done that work. So to seek guidance, learn from experienced teachers, to actually walk their talk. So to take the time to do the healing work on them before they put themselves out there, to actually allow themselves to be in a space where they can provide that service for others through their own experience. And people tend to be called to be healers because they have gone through stuff and they want to help others to navigate similar paths. That might be a bit of a sweeping generalization, but in essence, most of us who walk this path have been through stuff that we then want to help others with. So from that point of view, I would say, ask yourself to check in with your motivations. What are you really doing it for? Is it for other people? Is it because you also want to build a life and a business that's given you freedom? Because that's an absolutely valid reason as well. At the end of the day, the redundancy for me was my pivot point as to why I stepped into fully doing this work, because I never wanted an employer to have that power over me again, to pull a rug out from under me. So I would say to them, check in with your motivations. Make sure you know your why. Learn from an experienced teacher and do the work. You can't bypass doing the work. You've got to do the work on yourself so that you can then be that hater for other people. And we're always works in progress. And to remember that none of us are perfect because we're not. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, all those pieces are very important. And yes, going and going into business for yourself, for money, for security, for freedom. That is a very valid reason to do so. As long as you're going through and like you're being ethical to your clients, it's perfectly fine that you're going in for it for money. We do that for a lot of our different talents out there. Spirituality is and healing works just as well as a business. It definitely does. And I know that sometimes there's a resistance. Sometimes people feel a resistance to being able to charge for their spiritual services because, you know, it's a gift. It should be given freely. Even charities pay their staff. Here in the UK, we are blessed to have the National Health Service. It's free at the point of access, but the doctors, nurses get paid. We pay for it through our taxes. 
everybody who does any sort of work needs payment. You need to be able to put a roof over your head and food on your table and to feed yourself and your family. And if you can't do that through the healing work that you're doing, then you can't be the healer. The way I, I look at it is the amount of time and effort money I've spent on my own personal training in order to do this, plus the fact that I want to provide the service to as many people as possible means that I have to be paid to do it because otherwise I'd have to take a nine to five job in order to pay my bills and I wouldn't have the time then to give. It's definitely about checking in with your motivations and being ethical with it. If you're only in it for the money and not for the benefit of humanity and not for the benefit of the people you're serving, then it'll not work out anyway. I have a firm belief in that, that it'll not necessarily end up being exactly, it'll not give you maybe the freedom that you were after. It'll not give you the feel good factor that you're looking for. Because ultimately we all start our businesses to find that freedom in our lives in order to give us something to give back. You've got to fill your cup first. You have to look after your own self-care in order to be able to hold space for other people. And part of that is being paid for what you do. You know? We can't get food or shelter from just good intentions. We need to have that energy exchange happen. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. We can't eat. We can't eat, Reiki. (laughs) Thank you so much for all of this wisdom. This has been a lot to talk about here. Is there anything else that you'd like to share with our audience before we close this up for today? I think I'd just like to say to people, please just be the driver of your own life. Don't be someone else's passenger. Build a life that you love. Be yourself and shine your light. Because see, when you do that, when you shine your light, and you become, whether it's Reiki or just simply be in the light, you give other people permission to do the same. And then that creates a beautiful ripple healing effect out into the world. And that's what we need more of. So that's what I would like to leave with your listeners. Please be the light and share that love and kindness out into the world because we could all do with much more of it. Beautiful. Beautiful. Thank you. Debbie, where can people find you online? I have a website, rocksandrituals.co.uk, or you can find me on Facebook or Instagram at Rocks and Rituals, or you can find me on my personal profile, which is The Debbie Bar. <laughs> I am on Twitter, but I don't really use it. So Facebook and Instagram will be the place to find me. Thank you so much for being here today. No problem. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure talking to you. That was an enlightening episode. Let's recap. We explore the transformative power of Reiki, one of the various Japanese methods of energy healing, one that many of us know about because of how it was taught in the West, but I digress there. Debbie shared her personal journey, revealing how Reiki fostered profound personal growth and helped her overcome significant emotional hurdles. She emphasized Reiki's ability to promote self-inquiry and personal development, highlighting the importance of respecting the Japanese roots of this practice even as it adapts to Western contexts. We delved into the history, purpose, and principles of Reiki, exploring its connections to older Japanese traditions. After we noted how some Reiki teachers and practitioners combine elements of energy frameworks from different cultures, Debbie reminded us that all world religions share a common goal, achieving unity with the divine, even if they are expressed differently across different groups. And that's totally legit, especially when you think about how energy practitioners in the Western world may have had their own teachings stamped down. It's no wonder that many of us try to find such information in Eastern traditions. 
The blind consumption of elements from other cultures also comes into play. And if you want to learn more about that topic, check out episode 36 of this podcast, where we talk about the impact of colonialism, which is still around today. Anyways, I digress again. We touched upon the fusion of Eastern and Western beliefs and the ongoing efforts to bridge the schism between Western and Japanese Reiki practitioners. One critical topic addressed was the caution against quick-fix Reiki courses, stressing the need for quality, in-depth training. Debbie also shared her perspective on the ethics of charging for spiritual services and offered practical advice for aspiring healers. She encouraged self-reflection and the learning from experienced practitioners and emphasized the importance of personal healing before embarking on a journey of helping to heal others. So one of the things that I kept to myself in all of this is I am one of those people who took a Reiki Zero to Master in Two Weeks workshop, and I can attest to what Debbie said about what can happen. It's like that Moldavite challenge from TikTok, only it's real and I'm in my 40s. The six-month period after March 27, 2021, the time I went through that master training, was intense. Looking back on that time frame and the trajectory my life took after that, I go, whoa. This brings a question. Do you want me to do an episode on this? I'm thinking about it, but I may need some time to emotionally prep before I say some of this stuff out loud. Time to pivot about what we'll be talking about for the next few weeks. So, I'm not quite sure how I'm going to schedule out the next two episodes, so October 8th and October 15th. I was planning on sharing my interview with Rajeshwari Rai, a Reiki practitioner in Singapore, but I also have other topics I want to talk about as well. So my interview on Reiki with Rajeshwari is going to be one of those two weeks, and I'll have another topic for the other week. So with that, it's time to wrap up this week's episode of Spiritual AF Sundays. And remember... In the realm of spiritual healing, depth of understanding outweighs speed. Embarking on a healing journey, either for yourself or others, requires commitment, time, and a respect for the tradition that you're learning. Avoid the allure of quick fixes and take the time to understand and internalize those healing practices thoroughly. Also, be aware of the cultural roots and respect them as you adapt them to your contexts. Reflect on your motivations and intentions in your own spiritual journey and let them be guided by respect, understanding, and a genuine desire to heal. With that, have a spiritual AF week. Thank you for joining us for Spiritual AF Sundays. This show is hosted by the Mystic Geek, that's me. Got comments or questions from today's episode? You can either email me at jess at themysticgeek.com or send me a voice message at speakpipe.com slash themysticgeek. Don't worry, I'll put the link in the show notes. Help others start off their week with a spiritual AF Sunday by sharing this episode with them. Also, five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts help spiritual seekers find our show. So do the thing.